Hello, hello. How's everyone doing today? I do you want us to actually answer that question? I'm doing well, I guess. <laughs> I know. I was a little confused on whether that was to us or just to the people that were like in the chat watching. I don't know. <laughs> well, I mean, people in the chat, we always encourage you to tell us how you're doing. So feel free to do so. But I'm also glad that Haley and Charlie are are doing well. All right. <laughs> All right. Well, this is The Future Belongs to Creators with my two lovely hosts, and I am excited about our topic today. We are talking about an idea called a thou- our Thousand True Fans, and we're going to go into a little bit about what that means and what that is. But like, let's just get right into it, if that's all right with you. So this idea of a, of a true fan. So in case you're wondering what that is, a true fan is defined as like, Someone who buys anything that you produce, like diehard fans that will drive, you know, 200 miles to see you sing, or as um, the guy who came up with this, uh, Kevin Kelly, who's the founding editor of Wired Magazine, said they will, you know, buy buy your hardback and your paperback and audible mm-hmm. versions of your book, or purchase your next figurine, sight unseen, or your best of DVD, even though your YouTube is free, stuff like that. People that just love everything that you do and uh, can't get enough of it. So your thousand true fans is, um, and I'm going to talk about this just as they did in the article, which uh, we posted somewhere. I think Charlie put it out on Twitter, I believe. Yeah, we gave everyone homework beforehand on Twitter. That's um, right. Yeah, on my account and also on the ConvertKit one, I retweeted it as well. So who did the homework? Sound off in the chat. <laughs> Fantastic. And uh, so... All right. So the idea is to to be a successful creator, you don't need millions. You don't need millions of dollars or millions of customers, millions of clients or millions of fans. To make a living as a craftsperson or a photographer, a musician, etc., all you need is a thousand true fans. And the idea is if these true fans buy $100 worth of your stuff in a year, then that's $100,000 a year. And for most people, that's a pretty dang comfortable amount of money to be making. So that's kind of like why that's the target. And yeah, it's an arbitrary number. And there are some things about that that can change. You know, you could have really, really diehard fans that are only 500 and they buy $200 worth of your stuff. You know, it can move around. But for the sake of simplicity, a thousand that buy a hundred in a year. So first things first, ladies, what were since you I assume you did your homework, I know you did. We did. What, yes. what were your what were your first <laughs> impressions about this idea when you first came across it? I thought that it, it it felt true to me. Like I read it and I felt like, yeah, this feels right. I, it makes sense. A thousand true fans, like a thousand people who would spend that much on something that you make per year can add up to a living. It kind of gave me, like it gives me hope as a creator to think about that because a thousand is such a small number compared to like the millions that we see a lot of creators needing to get. But also as I was reading it and, you know, as a creator myself, I have nearly 200,000 subscribers on YouTube. I absolutely do not have a thousand true fans, right? So I was also thinking, wow, like, I think the thing this article isn't touching on though, or essay, sorry, I guess I should call it, is how hard it is to actually get those thousand true fans. Like a thousand followers, a thousand subscribers, that's fairly easy. Like you put in the work and the repetition, that's gonna happen. But a thousand true fans is another whole thing altogether. And I think it's much harder. Mm. I I loved this article. This was always when I used to um, travel a lot for work um, and I'd be at conferences, you know, with various types of, of creators. This was always like a topic that came up, especially as it related 
to, we'll call, we'll say influencers, right? People that maybe had built their business working with like doing product sponsorships, right? Or had large Instagram followings. And the conversation that we would always talk about is, is if you owned a product, right? A physical product that you sold. And we talked about it in relation to you have a thousand fans, they spend a hundred dollars, right? Then you make X number of dollars, a hundred, a hundred thousand dollars. And you're not required to rely on, let's say like an Instagram sponsorship. So I think Mm -hmm. that this, this topic really resonates with like different types of creators, but it's such a practical way to explain it. And, and that's my favorite thing about this, um, this kind of general idea is, and, and I love the way in the article, if, if, if you re- remember this part, he talked about, I'll, I'll just read it here. He says, everything made um, or thought of can interest at least one person in a million. It's a really low bar. Uh, yet if even only one out of a million people were interested, that's potentially 7,000 people on the planet. That means that any one in a million appeal can find a thousand true fans. And I think that that just like describing it that way makes it really, you know, so many people think, can I do this? You know? And when you think about it in that perspective, you're like, I only need a thousand. It makes it attainable. But Charlie, to your point, you're like, gosh, out of 200,000 people following me on YouTube, shit, I don't have, you know, I did. I tried to do an estimate. I sat there and I thought I was like, how many true fans do I think I have, you know, and through looking at things like, um, cause most of my income from my side hustle still does come from like sponsorships or hosting content, stuff like that, not from fans in particular. But if I look at my Patreon numbers and like, you know, first week sales of my font, things like that, I think I have a maximum of like maybe I could get to 40 or 50 people who would be counted as a true fan. Um, out of the two, nearly 200,000 that I have on YouTube, I think I have 24,000 on my email list. But also I think that I haven't truly tested this out yet, like because I have so few ways for a fan to support me directly other, you know, other than just watching my stuff. Um, I haven't leaned into it. And so I like that you brought that up, Haley. Like this is a important thing for creators to do, to go directly to their fans and not be relying on sponsorships and things like that. Yeah. So I need to work on that. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, still, I mean, uh, the fact that you are, sounds like you're halfway to your hundred on the maximum woo, end of that. Woo. So that's pretty cool. Congratulations. <laughs> no, but, uh, but also you haven't, I mean, you've been doing this in a different way and mm. you haven't been doing this with this idea in mind where I'm like, I'm going to go for quality over quantity because, and, and I'm not saying that that's wrong. Um, I'm saying that there is something to being deliberate about doing this as kind of like a goal of yours as you're making decisions, possibly. Yeah. And also there is one call out that I wanted to make about the Haley's quote that she said about the one in a million. I just want to call out that there is some technical aspect to that that's technically not true because not everybody in the world has access to the internet. Teacher Miguel coming in here. <laughs> or not everyone is an adult. <laughs> right. Not everyone is an adult and not everybody, but but still the point the point is that the bar is really low technically. Um, and there are billions of people that are on the internet. And it's just a matter of how do I reach those people? And how do I create content that makes them like me to that level where they're willing to part with their hard-earned cash, right? I think that's really interesting to kind of build a list thinking, okay, I'm going to make this like either super niche and I'm going to really try to get the most out of I, that I can 
out of what I'm doing for the people that really, really like what I'm doing and just really like narrow in on that instead of, because I think sometimes we feel pressure to cast a really wide net because the numbers are what matters. How many views did my video get on YouTube? How many people are subscribed to me? Like the number is always so important and the higher, the better. I just like the swish of the focus away from the maximum amount to the mm. something, something a little different, which is what I thought was most interesting. Yeah. You know, I love that you brought up um, niches because I, I remember the first person that I really heard dig into this or explain it, I think really well was Mariah Cause. And it was actually at the very first craft and commerce that we had. And she had, she was a main stage talk and she was talking about how important it is to niche down. Right. And when she got started, she was, I think she was, if I'm remembering correctly, she was teaching people how to refurbish vintage trailers. Like that was, that was her business. <laughs> right. But she got like further and further and further and further niche down in that little kind of group of people that like to do what she was doing. And I, I think it's really interesting in the article, they talk a little bit about that, just about how, how large the internet is. Right. And how important it is to find like that somebody out there is going to like what you're doing. And that's actually the way that I describe a lot of times when people ask me what I do, you know, and I'm describing ConvertKit and I'm like, okay, think about it this way. You have a skill set, right? What, it, what is your skill set? Maybe like my mom, for example, is a professional pastry chef. And I'm like, you, you could go out, you could create a recipe book, right? And you share your recipe book across all these, you know, various different, you know, platforms, you build your website, right? And you decide you're going to sell you're going to sell like a digital copy of this recipe book and you only need a thousand people to spend. And maybe you have four different iterations of this book. Each one of them is $25 and you need a thousand people to buy every, you know, four volumes. And I'm like, there you go. There's a hundred thousand dollars in your pocket, but it makes this concept of being a creator really attainable, you know, to people that don't understand how you actually earn a living as a creator. And I think that that is the big question mark. It's how do people earn a living as a creator? And when you break it down like this, it just makes it really, makes it really easy to explain, um, how, you know, the millions of people that create the creator economy are actually earning a living doing work that they love remotely or yeah. in their home. At least the successful and like the ones on the right track, I would say, because there are a lot of creators out there who focus more on the, like Miguel was talking about, the maximum. And that's what, like with so many creators focusing on income from sponsorships, it is a numbers game and brands want the maximum, uh, unfortunately, which is, I don't believe in that actually, because uh, like brands need that same to benefit from the thousand true fans as well, right? If they're promoting their product through you, and your audience doesn't give a shit about what you talk about, then they're probably not going to try out their product that the brand is promoting. I've heard from brands that they've like, oh, they're wary of influencers because they sponsored this giant creator and they got like three clicks to their website sort of thing. And so it just seems seems like a safer approach. <laughs> do you really think though that brands care about the maximum, like this like massive number, or do you think that they care about the people that actually have engaged subscribers? Cause you can have somebody who's a micro influencer, right? Who has, mm -hmm. let's say between 10 and a hundred thousand followers, but their reach is really high. And they actually do have people that are really engaged in their content versus somebody that has a million people and people are just casual, you know, casual yeah. followers. Personally, me, I would rather, you know, Julie Solomon, um, who's a, a ConvertKit customer and she's a business coach, uh, she talks about this all the time about 
people that have small micro audiences, you know, and micro like a hundred, let's not discredit this. Like a hundred thousand people is not a small amount of people. It's just right. when you compare it to people, you know, that have with the millions, yeah, with yeah. the millions, you know, it feels small, <laughs> but the engagement level from their, subs- mm-hmm. their, um, and actually Emily, um, said this, we should maybe describe it as friends versus fans. And I, I love that. That's true. But yeah, a lot of these, these micro influencers have far more engaged friends than they do, than these massive followers do or massive accounts do. Yeah. And I think that that's what brands should pay attention to, just like it's what creators should pay attention to, but it's not always the reality because people get dazzled by the big numbers. Um, and that, I don't know, just, it feels like bigger is better sometimes, but should we talk about Emily's this message from Emily a bit more because I really like her point about you don't get um, high fan engagement by only talking at people. True fans want the back and forth, the engagement, responses, shout outs, et cetera. I think that's a great point. Um, and that's probably touches on how you can build these 1000 true friends is with that engagement. Yeah. I want to comment uh, specifically like relate it to a quote that was actually from uh, the article or whatever you called it, letter. All right, letter. showing me up with your homework. <laughs> no, no, no. Um, but he says, he says, there are many creators who don't want to deal with fans and honestly mm. should not. They just point, they should just paint or sew or make music and hire someone else to deal with their super fans. Is that you? And you add someone to deal with your fans, a helper, you know, will skew your formula, increasing the number of fans you need, but that may not be the best mix. Anyways, he's talking about that. And I totally, totally disagree with that to Emily's point. I feel like if your goal is to build a thousand true fans, you can't do that without engaging with your fans, right? At least that's my opinion. I I feel, I feel very strongly on that because unless you, if you're going to have a relationship, you can be, it's like Emily said, friends versus fans, right? You have relationships with friends. You don't necessarily have relationships like honest relationships with fans, but I don't know. I just, I disagree with, with that, that I don't know. I think that if you, if you're a creator, you should have an honest relationship with your fans, friends, whatever. It's, it's funny because I can agree with, I can agree with that. And I also think, you know, we've talked about this before where, you honestly, if you're a creator and what you're in, what you're in it for is to be creative and write music or whatever it is that you do, there is a case to be made for, is my job to engage with my fans? Is my job to engage with my art? Maybe it's a, it's probably a little bit of both. I mean, I know that it'd be a lot nicer if I could just like, all right, you handle all of like the technical stuff and the PR stuff, and I'll just get to making the things that people like. But I mean, if you're going for true fans, then maybe that's not the way to go, like you're saying, because that engagement, that sort of personal touch is such a big piece of it. And it's something that you can not worry about if your game is big numbers, because those big numbers make up for in that sheer size what you're trying to do with quality, I would think. You know, I'm trying to think of like, try to compare the this this to a, a massive celebrity, right? Who's a creator. Let's just say a Lady Gaga, right? Okay. Lady Lady Gaga is so commercial, right? Or a Tim McGraw or something. And they, they're, they're going to reach people, you know, but they're not going to have individual relationships or even like engage with their audience the same way because they're so big. But they have 
millions and millions and millions of people supporting their creative work, right? But that that is not the norm for the creator economy. The norm mm. for the creator economy is somebody like, you know, somebody like a Matt Ragland, right? You know, who, who's been a guest here, you know, who has, well, I, maybe Matt, I, you know, he went out on his own, you know, I assume he was, his goal was he had to replace his, his income or his salary before he went out on his own. And so I would assume that he's somewhere within that target of a thousand true fans that are purchasing things from him, you know, at, at that level. And Matt is the norm for the creator economy and maybe, maybe even a little bit higher than the norm. And for Matt, like I guarantee that he's built relationships, like personal relationships with his, his fans or friends or audience. Right. And they feel that connection, connection to him where I might be a fan of Lady Gaga's work, but I don't have a personal relationship or connect with her on a deeper level uh, on the same type of level than maybe I would as a, as a, and fan friend of Matt Ragland. <laughs> That's a great way of putting it. I think that makes sense because my argument I was going to come in at you with was like, well, back when I was like, you know, in my early 20s, I bought every single thing I possibly could that Fallout Boy made and I'd never met them. <laughs> <laughs> but I was absolutely a true fan uh, and I didn't need to have that one-on-one connection to make it happen. But you're right. That's not the norm. Not everyone is Fallout Boy. No. That is my quote from this episode. <laughs> I do love myself some Fallout Boy, though. Can we change the title of the podcast today to Not Everyone is Fallout Boy? Actually, that I think we should 100% do that. <laughs> oh, man. All right. So looking at some of the comments here, speaking about interacting with your fans, I see that Emily said something that I thought was pretty cool. If you can highlight that. She said, I think there's two approaches. You can grow the audience to huge numbers to get the thousand fans wide, or you can slowly try to make sure a majority of every new audience person is a true fan, which is a deep connection. So mm. going wide or going deep, I, I like that I like that comparison. And it just, I mean, it, it just depends on, um, I mean, it depends on so many things. What, what is your medium? What is it that you're doing is some, some things can lend itself to this by interacting with your fans. If you're an author, maybe the way that you interact with your fans is, you know, things like, book signings, or you can get really creative and maybe do some sort of like online calls or you can like, you know, ask questions to the author. Um, I like on Clubhouse, for example, you, I think Charlie got to ask MC Hammer a question, right? Yep. That was pretty fun. <laughs> that was cool. And I mean, you know, I don't know if you're a huge MC Hammer fan and you're dancing around in I'm parachute not. pants, but okay. <laughs> it was still cool. <laughs> but if you were, that would have been pretty meaningful to you. I mean, it still kind of is. I think it made me more of a fan. Yeah. 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 So that that's a great point is that that's exactly what I wanted to say is even if maybe you weren't a big fan of his, like sometimes those special moments that maybe you didn't expect kind of help swing you towards being someone who cares more about that person or kind of give somebody a second look that maybe you already made your mind up about or something like that. Yeah. When I think about creators that I might maybe consider myself a true fan of, it's it's the ones that I've had a personal connection with. And like as someone who's part of the creator like space or whatever, a lot of the people I'm a fan of are also literally my friends as well. Uh, so this <laughs> fan friend thing, that is interesting. But, you know, sometimes I became their friend first from consuming their content and, you know, then they would engage with me through it. Yeah. I'm curious to know how many people you, you guys are true fans of. Hmm. I'd probably say like under 10. 
Yeah, I was thinking probably the yeah. same for me. Yeah, I um one of the things though, and this is a, like a good story, but um, and he says this in the article: true fans not only are the direct source of your income, but also your chief marketing force for the ordinary mm-hmm. fans. Mm-hmm. And you know, one artist that I can think of in particular that that this is like a very tr- this is true for me and a true story, and and has honestly affected my life still to this day is Tyrone Wells, who we actually did a creator session with. And I watched Tyrone Wells really early in his career, super early in his career. Um, and he was he was at the Commons in, in University of Idaho, where I went to school. And he had his his drummer, Mark, who's his manager now, you know, and he's on, on the Cajon, the Cajon, right? Which is the square drum and that you like sit on top of. I think that's what it's called. <laughs> I, I can't help you there, sorry. Okay, okay. <laughs> Anyways, uh, and I bought every one of his CDs and then I mm-hmm. burned every one of his CDs and then I distributed every one of his CDs to my entire volleyball team, okay? My best friend ended up sharing that CD with a really good family friend of theirs and then he booked him for at, at Oregon State, right? And that was because I sat there and watched his entire set shared it with everyone on my team. And then it, you know, like I essentially was the super fan that was, was connecting him to other people. The story actually is great. It ends up like going, you know, way further down, down the rabbit hole. In fact, um, Mark, the drummer, I ended up, he helped me start creator sessions. He booked, he manages Welshly Arms and he booked, uh, helped me book Welshly Arms, which was our second musical performance. And then Mark connected me to Josh, who helps me book talent. And he actually he goes, well, actually, I know Josh because of you, because Josh helped me book Tyrone at Oregon State t- 12, 15 years ago, however many years ago it was. And that was all because you bought Tyrone's fan or CDs and distributed them to all your friends. And I was a, I was a super fan. And so I loved that because true fans really are the source for making your casual fans like better fans. And finding more of those casual fans to start with as well. I love that. Yeah. Something I liked in this article was, because I've heard the 100,000 true fans concept before. I understood it, you know, whatever. But reading it and hearing him talk about the, you called it out, Miguel, how the number changes. It's not absolute. Where like, if you can only sell $50 worth of something per year, you need 2,000 fans. And I think that is something that is maybe missing from most of the like the 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 context missing from the thousand true fans concept that when it gets talked about is people hear, okay, a thousand, that's all I need to do. And they're not thinking about making a product. They're not thinking about how much that product's gonna be and how much they could possibly sell each year to each person. Um, and maybe feeling discouraged at the when they reach the thousand number and are like, well, where's my making a living gone in all of this? <laughs> so that was that was important context, I thought. Yeah, and uh, and one thing too that I thought was important was so let let's let's back up a little bit and let's think about let, let's go back in history, okay? Oh, his teacher Miguel's his coming te- out, yeah. coming out again. No, so, <laughs> uh, okay, yeah. So historically, you had talent that in order for them to get out there with whatever it is they're doing. Well, let's let's take the example of a band. Let's say the Beatles. The Beatles are huge and everybody knows who they are, right? So they obviously reached superstardom, but they didn't do their own marketing. They, it was a different time, right? You needed to get the attention of a publisher or a label or a PR firm in order to, or, or at least get your stuff on the radio. So that way that if you were lucky enough to do that, enough people heard it and it just kind of just went viral and went crazy before the term went viral even was a thing, right? 
So nowadays, we need the record companies less because people can self-publish. People can, with the power of the internet, you can you can reach people directly and cutting out all those middlemen. But the game has changed, right? Because now there anybody since anyone can do it, a lot of people are doing it. So there's a lot of you know background noise as well. And having enough to jump ahead of the pack and stand out as something is by and large kind of just like a lot of the times luck as much as it is hard work. Because I know really, really, really hardworking artists that nobody knows about. And then I see, you know, and not to pass too much judgment here, but some of the things that are on pop radio, I'm like, what in the world is this? And how- <laughs> Like Fallout Boy, for example. <laughs> yeah. How do I live in a world where Fallout Boy is cranking out gold albums and platinum albums? But like my buddy, my buddy Chris McAllister, um, who is just the most like amazing musician that I've ever gotten to play with and just to hang out with, uh, just like nobody is ever, is ever going to hear his stuff more than likely. And that's just kind of bums me out sometimes. So I think it's so important that, so all this to say, since you are the one kind of behind the wheel and you are the one, you get to decide what kind of engagement you get to have with your fans mm. and the kind of relationship you want with them. And no one's telling you what to do in order to optimize for the most record album sales or the most downloads or the most streams. You just, you do it how you want to do it. And if your goal is to make as much money as fast as possible, then there's a few paths to that, but there's a cost to that too. So that's just something that I think every creator has to weigh out and kind of find for themselves. That's a great point, Miguel. I feel like the maybe we should talk a little bit about the the downsides or whatever to this, this concept, because Noah put a really good question here in the chat that I'll bring up on screen saying that do true fans then have to have disposable income? if this is what we're saying, is that they are gonna buy $100 of your stuff. And does that exclude people? And I think this is a really good point um, because you know your fans, might, even they, they might love you, they might want to spend $1,000 on you per year, but if they don't have that disposable income or if they're, I don't know, I feel like I see a lot of um, young people in particular buying merch endlessly from these YouTubers that they love and I don't know, I don't know if they have the money for that, you know, but it's what they're choosing to spend their money on because they feel like this is how I'm going to show that I love them. And the creator sometimes can encourage that. And I think that's a little bit dangerous. Um, we have to have that mm -hmm. in mind. I'm really anxious to see how that actually plays out this year, given that so many people have lost, you know, that, that had an income before, don't have an income any longer and how that ultimately trickles up to, you know, the creator economy, because those aren't items that you would consider to be essential. Like merch isn't yep. essential or, you know, whatever it is that, that a lot of things, yep. um, you know, they're not essential items. And so I'm, I'm curious to see how that's going to play out over the course of the next you know, six months to a year and whatnot. But that's a really good question. I, I don't know the answer to that. I definitely think they're still a true fan. I would hate to discredit, right, that, mm. you know, by saying that they're not a true fan because they don't have disposable income. Well, Emily adds on with a great point. Maybe we can bring this up for some more positivity. And then yeah. Emily says, <laughs> I think a true fan generates that money for you, whether it's from their own wallet or those uh. they influence. So like, for example, Haley, with you, you know, you could have bought a CD for your whole volleyball team and actually given that money to Tyrone Wells. This is accurate. <laughs> hey, you guys, you guys, I, the, for certain, okay, okay. 
To be fair, to be fair, they, th- th- I get a lot of thanks for that. Okay. You know, that was a know, different time. It was a different time. <laughs> it was a different time. Okay. I don't burn CDs anymore. Ooh, she's I on the defensive. CDs anymore. You generated loads of income <laughs> yes. from him, f- from that burning. Cause then he got booked for shows and like all of this. Yes. And so yes. that's what I'm saying is like, you put in that work to generate more income for him elsewhere, just from sharing it, um, sharing the love. Yeah, basically. And I think that that definitely doesn't go unnoticed by creators when you have people sharing your content, shouting it out, like mentioning the like how it feels when someone asks, like tags me in a Twitter thread saying like, who's your favorite YouTuber or favorite podcast? And they mention me. I'm like, really? Out of all of the channels and podcasts you could have mentioned, you chose to say me like, wow, that's huge, you know, and even just that encouragement is really, really helpful as a creator to get, even though it yeah. might not be money in my wallet. Well, there's a non, there's a secondary monetary benefit to that, you know, because there's, it, they're opening it up to their audience. And one of those people mm-hmm. could essentially become a true fan, right? That, and exactly. I love, I, I love that. Emily, that's such a great point. Thank you for articulating that better than, than I clearly could. Um, yeah, I love that point. And there's so many different models too, on how to engage as far as like, monetizing what you do. I mean, obviously there's taking podcasts, for example, if you're lucky enough to get sponsors, then sure it's free and your sponsors are the ones that are basically paying for everybody else to get it for free. Then you have the kind of like a freemium model where like, yeah, this is free, but if, but maybe you can offer some things on the side as like maybe a companion to what it is that you're doing to kind of like immerse yourself a little bit more in whatever it is they're talking about. Or maybe it's just merch because you think that they're cool and you want to represent who they are or you want to represent what you like in a more public way. Or there is the fully, like, they just pay for your podcast. So there's no commercials. There's none of that stuff. It's just your content that you are paying for. And I like the idea of they are generating that for you by spreading the word. You know, I can't tell you how many times I've enjoyed something so much then I've made it my mission to tell somebody else about it. You know, I would love to know if you could just like see how far that rabbit hole goes. Like I told somebody who told somebody who told somebody I would love Mm. to, wouldn't it be so cool to just know, have like something I said in passing to somebody like, Oh, you should check out this podcast. And like how many people probably might listen to it down. Maybe it's zero, but maybe it's like a lot. I don't know. Like a lot, a lot. Be cool. Yeah. That all matters. It all adds up. You're right. And if, you, if you're passionate about it and you share it enough, it, it will spread eventually. And that's why, mm. that's, that's why that's important, yeah. Yeah, it just seems like it's a matrix. Mm. Not, not like the movie, but it's like a matrix, right? It's like <laughs> how many subscribers you have and then how many like true fans that you have. And just there, there's like this sort of like gulf between that. And then as you get more popular, the f- less like the less important, I guess it is to have true fans because you make up for it in numbers. Mm. But then the more likely you are to have true fans because you're, you know, getting a lot more outreach that way. But yeah, I'm not sure. This is kind of making me think that maybe I have more than the 40 to 50 number I originally put myself at. If we expand the definition to be people who help generate income in other ways, because like a big chunk of my side hustle income comes from Figma, the design tool sponsoring my YouTube channel. They just pay me a flat fee each month and they are like the channel sponsor, right? If people didn't then, I don't know, mention on Twitter or social media or tag them or whatever saying like, I tried Figma because of Charlie, they wouldn't continue sponsoring me, you know, if they weren't seeing that benefit. And so 
my fans are helping me in that way whenever they you know relate back to the sponsor that is leading to more income for me so i don't know i'm gonna have to try and do another calculation i think (laughs) yeah this is honestly if i had to say i love this conversation so much one of my favorite things like honestly one of my favorite things about life is sharing things about people or businesses that deserve to be shared Like I just, I love talking about my favorite clothing brands like Everlane. It's a great clothing brand for so many reasons. I just, I freaking love talking about them and I want everyone to experience them for so many different reasons. And that trickles down to like, you know, my favorite coffee shop, my favorite nursery here in, in the Valley and like all of these things. And it's just such a, it brings me so much joy to share things with other people that need to be shared. You know, it's Nathan, um, started this great, uh, newsletter called from Boise. And I love his mission because his mission, their mission is to support, like to support the business economy and the economy here in, in Boise and to share, you know, share more about our beautiful city. And it's just so fun. Like sharing, you know, is that like, no, are we not? You, do you guys agree? I'm like, yes, it is so fun to tell people to get really excited about something or be like, you have to listen to this artist. Like I, the number of people that I have to- told about joy, a lot of coon, it's like, cause we, she's a future uh, creator session that we've booked. And I swear I have made at least 10 people in the last like month and a half, like fans, like actual fans. And I get a lot of joy out of that. Not joy. Fans of joy, pun. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> I wish I had a, I wish, too bad I don't have a bigger audience, you know, than like my, you know, then I could really. Well, Haley, that's something we can work on together. Yeah. <laughs> you know something I really like, if you think about it, you enjoy it more when the people that you care about also enjoy it, right? Like you want them to be fans of it so you can nerd out about it, not in your like yeah. weird little corner and where everybody's like, okay, Haley, that's nice. They're just jeans, relax. <laughs> Oh, they're like, oh my God. So I got some Everlane jeans and they are the best jeans I've ever had and blah, blah, blah. And you make them fans too. And now you get to share that connection with somebody that you care about, which like kind of enriches your friendship in a way. It does. I just feel like I need to like describe, now that we talked to use Everlane as an example. Oh no. I feel like oh, I have to go. like talk about it a little bit more. So, so it's real. It's important (laughs) that you know where your, I feel very Barrett right now. It's important that you know where your clothes come from. It's also important that you know that the people that are making your clothes are taken care of appropriately. And so Everlane does like behind the scenes where all of their clothes are manufactured. So you like know that you're buying from like a good ethical company. I think that's fucking important. Let it drop. Cause it's real. It's so important. Oh, you, guys. you used and that. Then- <laughs> Why does she always get to use it? I have never gotten to say it. <laughs> I also don't like spending ex- like unnecessarily unnecessary, excessive amounts of money on a piece of, on, on like an item. So Everlane also shows you like the breakout of how much it took to produce an item, everything from like the manufacturing to the shipping, to the cost of materials. And then it shows you what the markup is like per item. And that is just like really fascinating information. And that's like a company that's totally breaking the way that clothing, making clothing is done. And we should all be more responsible consumers. So I like to geek out on stuff like that because then it spreads the message. I know we're talking about, it spreads the message, you know, like how freaking cool is that? And this episode, I just have to say is not sponsored by Everlane. (laughs) (laughs) We should clarify that. And let's move on. Um, Sorry. Sorry guys. No, no, no. You're good. Thanks for the Everlane shout out. I'm a big fan too. Half my wardrobe is Everlane. I will just say that. <laughs> uh, something else I wanted to bring up that I forgot about until I saw Emily say this in the chat is I 
Emily is on fire today, everyone. Go subscribe yes. to her YouTube channel, Sketchnote Academy. She makes great videos and content about sketchnoting. Emily says that I don't think a true fan lasts more than five years max. People and interests change. This is the first thing that I thought of when I started reading this article is thinking about who I'm a true fan of and then thinking about, wow, and how that's changed over the years. There's people that I used to be a true fan of and it sort of just like petered out a little bit, you know? Are you still a true fan of Fallout Boy? I wouldn't say, well, not a true fan anymore. Big fan, not a true fan. Like okay. I'm not spending a lot of money on them these days. <laughs> we'll say that. <laughs> um, but was it my taste changing that led to me stopping becoming a fan? Or was it the creator changing or the creator not engaging as much before that leads to that that fan churn, I guess, true fan churn. <laughs> or maybe it's just natural and it's a thing that's gonna happen. Uh, but it means that us as creators, we can't stop trying to generate true fans. You can't reach a thousand people and be like, done, boom. That's such a good point. Just gonna set back and yeah. Well, that's true about the creator economy in general. Like You're it's right. predicated yeah. on the fact that you are creating. Mm -hmm. It's not like, hey, I made this stuff and now it's this evergreen thing that just makes mm -hmm. me money forever. So. Yep. It's not passive income. Mo right. Like there's very few things that are actually passive income. <laughs> Maybe that's a topic for another episode. Maybe real estate, <laughs> but other than that, you know, yeah. Even then, even then, yeah. This has been such a fun conversation, friends. This has I probably loved. been my favorite episode of ours yet. I'm just going to go ahead and say it. Oh, wow. <laughs> Good job, Miguel. You know what threw it over the top for me? Everlane shout outs. Um, <laughs> and F-bombs. Fun fact. <laughs> you know what? I don't have any Everlane stuff, but a fun, fun fact. I, when I used to live in San Francisco, they used to contract me out to build sets for them to do photo shoots for all of their fancy pictures that they have on their website. Oh, fancy. That's and they my connection to Everlane. And they didn't pay you in it, you know, and in, in stuff? Well, they paid me in dollars. Uh, that's probably better to be fair. Which I can then use to buy anything, really. Yeah, that's how money works. <laughs> Everlane yeah. jeans, sure. A Slurpee, also true. Yeah. <laughs> you know, the, the, the boundaries are endless, really. Yeah. But anyways. You know what I think would be a great... I think would be a great way to close out this uh, this episode is why don't we all share uh, like why we did this, uh, Miguel and I, when Charlie was out, like talking about our favorite creators, but why don't we we share, I don't know, one of our favorite favorite creators. Who are you a true fan of, Charlotte? Charlie? Charlotte. I, I have a kid named Charlotte. Sorry, guys. <laughs> Sorry. I mean, to be fair, it is my name. Just no one ever calls me that. Yeah. Um, <laughs> Right now, I would say I'm definitely a true fan of Dan Petty. He's a designer, does a lot of great things like for the, for the design community in general. I bought his portfolio book, even though don't plan on doing a portfolio anytime soon, just like wanted to support and was interested in his writing, you know? So I think that's an example of a, a true fan purchase when it wasn't a need that I had, wasn't even particularly a want. Um, it was just like, oh, cool, Dan made this. I'm going to buy it. That was my thought process there. What about you? How about you, Haley? I don't, I, I wanted to use like an individual, but the first person that, or a first company person, whatever that popped into my mind is Heath Ceramics, which was actually started there in San Francisco, but it was started by a woman uh, named Edith Heath in the, I want to say the forties. And she basically pioneered the way that ceramics are made now. And she's just built this freaking amazing business. And I'm a massive fan. So I collect all Heath ceramics. I have lots of stuff. Definitely sounds and, like a true fan. And I, I share it a lot. 
And, and every time somebody is like, oh, these dishes are so nice. Gosh, I'm so ridiculous. They're like, oh, this is such a nice, heavy dish. And I'm like, oh, let me tell you about it. This. <laughs> and then, then I, they're like, I regret asking. Oh, yeah. I even, yeah. Exactly. I even have a coffee table book, a Heath Ceramics coffee table book. It's pathetic, but I love it. Okay. For me, it is someone that is local here in St. Petersburg, Florida. And they don't have like a website, really, anything like that. But I just... Um, it's something that I've found really interesting, and I found them at a farmer's market nearby, and they are somebody that does uh, succulent arrangements. They also they do these succulent arrangements in like, I'm going to butcher this, but it is like these pots where they use uh, like a mixture of like concrete and peat moss and whatever. So it's super, super lightweight, but it's also very porous, so they don't like retain their water and obviously die because succulents like things a little dry sometimes. So it's a great way to, I just thought it was super innovative. They like totally made it up by, by themselves. Like they just like were tinkering with like, I'm going to like make my own pots out of the things that I want to make them out of. And I just thought it was super, super cool. And I can't remember their names, but. Oh no. He's oh, been wait, telling no. that story the whole time, waiting for it to come to him. And he was going to yep. close us out with a name. Yeah. That's how, that's how it works. Yeah. No, it's just like, she's like the nicest, she's like the nicest lady. Um, and I, I'm sure she has a business name and I'm going to do, I'm our next one that we do. I'm going to have the name and I'm at the beginning Great. of the show. I'm going to do it. I promise. Okay, I have one more. Okay, go ahead. Sorry. Well, Come I just on. saw the Creator Sessions <laughs> website like behind the screen and Ooh. I got really excited. So the Creator Session that we're doing um, next week is with uh, a filmmaker couple, um, Matt and Rosie, and they um, are Urtext Films. It's U-R-T-E-X-T. And they have two documentaries that are their most well-known. Uh, one is their most recent, which they just released April 9th. It's called We Don't Deserve Dogs. And their previous one was called Barbecue. It was uh, licensed by Netflix. I've been watching all their creator session film, right? And going through their documentary. And I am so fascinated by them as creators and the way that they are so intentional about like shining a light on their subjects. Because in this this film, We Don't Deserve Dogs, there was like you know, north of 40 dialects that they had to actually, you know, transcribe into to English and to make sure that it, it came across appropriately. And it was, it's so beautifully done and they just have such care for the subjects and in, in their films. I'm a fan. I'm a true fan. They are awesome. Um, and you should go support, you should watch the creator session next week and you should go support their film. I think it's only their We Don't Deserve Dogs is only $5 uh, to watch. And barbecue may or may not still be on Netflix, but either way, both are beautiful. You guys should check them out. I love it. Well, ladies, this has been a lot of fun. Shout out to all of you who did your homework. I'm very proud of you. This has been probably the most active comment section that we've ever had, at least top three. But yeah, thank you everybody for making it such a conversation and not just three people talking <laughs> at you, but with you, like we said before. Um, all right, we'll see everyone next week and take care. Bye. Bye. Thanks for listening to this episode of The Future Belongs to Creators. If you enjoyed it, be sure to subscribe so that new episodes appear in your podcast feed every week. And while you're at it, leave us a review on Apple Podcasts. We'd love to hear what you think of the show. If you want to join us live for the next recording, you'll find us on ConvertKit's YouTube channel at youtube.com forward slash ConvertKit every Wednesday at 1230 Eastern. This show, like everything we do at ConvertKit, is made for creators by creators. 
We're on a mission to help creators like you earn a living online, and we make software that helps you build and connect with an audience of loyal fans. ConvertKit is the best way to launch or grow your next creative project. So to start building your audience, go to convertkit.com slash free and create a free account. We're looking forward to helping you on your creator journey.